This is the Championship Chat Podcast, your home of news, views and debate from England's second tier. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Championship Chat Podcast. I'm your host, Elliot Jackson, and as always, I'm joined by George Smith. George, how are you doing? Oh, I'm not too bad, mate. How's things with yourself? Yes, good, thank you. Very good. Um, getting into the, the festive spirits with 13 days to go. Uh, two weeks, well, one week on Saturday. Very excited. You've got your Christmas lights up, haven't you? I have. You managed to persuade me after getting me in the, in the mood last week. So uh, the house is decorated and ready to roll. Very exciting. What are you looking forward to most? Like, What have you asked for in your list? Uh, lockdown free Christmas, is that allowed? No, we're not going into that. I'm not. No, Can I have no. one of them? Uh, well, yes, hopefully, but we're we're not doing this. I'm not. I'm not. No, <laughs> we're going to talk about football instead. Um, as always, uh, a reminder to make sure you subscribe to this podcast feed wherever you get your podcasts from across all your usual platforms. And we are currently running a giveaway for Football Manager 22. So make sure you follow us on Twitter at ChampChatPod24. And if you head to our Twitter page, you'll see a uh, the giveaway that we're doing. All you have to do is retweet the tweet and uh, follow us on Twitter. And we're giving away a free copy of Football Manager 22 in time for Christmas. So if you're not already involved in that, please do head to our Twitter page and get involved. On today's podcast, as always, we're going to be breaking down the busy weekend of Championship action, breaking down all the key talking points. This is the Championship Chat Podcast. And no better place to start, George, than with the inform side of the division, Blackburn Rovers, as they went to uh, the Vitality Stadium and recorded a 2-0 victory against Bournemouth. Five wins in six now for Blackburn, um, keeping them um, in fourth in the Championship standings. They're now closer in the table to Bournemouth than they are um, to Coventry, who are in seventh. So very, very much cementing their place in that playoff race. Um, in that pack of teams. Um, in terms of the goals, the first goal, a little bit fortunate in the way that it smacked Ben Pearson in the in the face and, and went in. Always love a comical goal like that, although it was unlucky from uh, Brighton Diaz not to put it in in the first place. And the second, uh, a towering header from Brighton Loney, Jan Van Paul Heck. Um, 16 points from 18 for Rovers. No goals conceded in the last four matches. We went a little bit more in-depth on Blackburn last week. But they followed that up with another, well, probably their most eye-catching result of the season, George. And this is a real statement victory for them. And just lots and lots of credit to, to Tony Mowbray and the young side. The three-at-the-back systems worked wonders since um, the drubbing against Fulham. I feel like we need to like have a klaxon. You, like, you know how there was a thing, like every time anyone spoke about like Southampton v Leicester, it was like, when are they going to mention the 9-0? We're now starting to get to that point where it's impossible to talk about Blackburn without saying we lost well, 7-0 to Fulham. But... It's to be particularly fair, it was less poignant. Than two months ago, and it is poignant because that is the point of which this turnaround and yeah. great run of form started. They've conceded two goals in the last six games, none in the last four, as I say, um, clean sheets and all of those, and sixteen points, five wins and a draw out of the last six games. It's been some turnaround, and this was a really, really big statement victory for them. It absolutely was, and as you know, I tipped Blackburn for my shop for the, the weekend. Really, you've not mentioned and... this weekend. I've not. Well, it makes a change for me to get it right, so I thought I'd get it in there early. But no, I, I had a sneaky feeling that Blackburn would go and do a job on Bournemouth this weekend, and so it proved. I mean, like you say, it's probably the most eye-catching standout result of the season for them by a country mile. To go to a place like Bournemouth, who have been very, very good at home this season, they only lost once uh, on their own patch this term, and they lost to Preston. 
So to go there and keep a clean sheet as well, get a couple of goals, is a real statement of intent. And like you say, it's propelled them even close to the top two now. And they are the informed side in the division. They're very, very difficult to stop at the minute. They're scoring goals. They're keeping clean sheets. So it's not a fact that they're they're winning games by having to score two or three to get the job done. They're keeping the ball out the net at the other end of the field. And huge credit has to go to them because, like you say, we, we, we've we obviously got to reach a point where we cut off and stop talking about that 7-0 defeat to Fulham. But I think it's important to look at that result and think, psychologically, how much damage that could have done to a, to any group of players to have come off a battering like that, especially at home. It could quite easily be the, the beginning of a really, really torrid run and a long run of defeats or whatever. Blackburn have done the total opposite. It's almost galvanised them and given them something to fight for. And to be fair, prior, prior to that defeat to Fulham, they'd won the two games leading up to that. So you could argue that their season had changed prior to that moment. So they've been in good form now for the best part of almost two months since the mid, middle of October. So I think there's a lot to really, really praise Blackburn for. I mean, obviously, Brereton Diaz is going to hog all the headlines for his goals so far this season, but they seem to be right at the other end of the pitch as well. Like you say, they've, they've been good defensively in recent weeks, four successive clean sheets. And bear in mind, in that time, they've faced a, an informed Stoke side, a Bournemouth side that have been at the top virtually since the first ball of the season was kicked. So they've had really two tough away games in there. And obviously, they've seen off Peterborough and Preston at home. So Tony Mowbray deserves huge amounts of credit, but he said in his interview after the game on Saturday that he, he just wants to remain grounded, doesn't want to get too carried away after a victory of that magnitude. But when you look forward to Blackburn's upcoming fixtures, they've got Birmingham City at home next at the weekend. And that, that to be fair, is a game that you would you would expect a team in Blackburn's form to go and win. No disrespect to Birmingham, but it is a game you'd expect them to win. And following that, they've got a trip to Hull City in a home game with Barnsley to wrap up the year. It's it's a favourable run. Obviously, anything can happen in the Championship. We know that. But Blackburn now are coming into a set of not easier fixtures, but certainly favourable ones that you would expect a team in that kind of form to win. So for me, I think it's it's impossible to pick any negatives out of what Blackburn are doing at the minute. Like you say, they're closer to the top two than they are the, uh, the seventh place side, which is Coventry at the moment. So it's all rosy in, in Blackburn's garden at the minute. And they've, like I say, been very, very impressive to watch. Yeah, they're really good. Really good result of the weekend. Um, had to make a change in goal as well, with Kaminsky being injured. So um, Ainsley Pears stepping in as he has done in the last couple of games. And the change to a back three has really suited them. And that's been the catalyst for the improvement defensively, certainly. Um, Darry Lenehan, uh, Jean Vol van Heck, as I say, who scored the, the thumping header at the weekend. And Scott Wharton as a back three. Um, solid bit of experience in there, plenty of youth as well. And then. You would always say Ryan Niambe and Harry Pickering are better going forward than defensively. So having that extra yeah. solidity with an extra centre-half works. Joe Rothwell and Lewis Travis pulling the, the strings in midfield. And then John Buckley's been sort of the emerging star very much of this team, along with uh, Rita Kadra. But John Buckley's the one where he's come in. There were a few question marks before the season about what his sort of best position was. But in this attacking midfield, free licence, knowing he's got Rothwell and Travis behind him. He's just he's just a bundle of energy. He presses. He's relentless off the ball, winning the ball back high up the pitch, and he's got real quality on the ball. I remember the Stoke game that they won um, a couple of weeks ago. Now he was tremendous, man of the match, and again he's putting in really strong performances. And you look at the bench as well: Sam Gallagher, Bradley Johnson, Tyrese Dolan, Daniel Ayala, Teo Edun. Um, none of them getting in the starting eleven right now, and that just shows the the strength and the quality of which ball uh, that. Blackburn are playing with right now 
When we look on the opposite end of um, of this result at Bournemouth, their stickiest run of the season so far. Um, and all of a sudden, it looks like a top two race is back on again because there's only three points to West Brom in third. They've conceded nine goals in their last five games, which is the, the biggest difference because they haven't had the settled pairing of Kelly and Gary Cahill. I don't think they've started any of those of the last five together or maybe one of them. But one or the other has been missing for a lot of those matches and Steve Cook's done all right since he's coming to be fair but it's just not settled and clearly when you concede nine in five compared to the previous five games where they'd only conceded two that's the big change um and there was a couple of chances at the weekend they did have chances at the weekend so like he had a one-on-one at one nil where he probably should have scored and it was a bit of a tame finish and I just think things aren't quite falling for them um and probably don't feel as natural as they did earlier in the season yeah I would agree with that he's it's very difficult because they obviously they've they've been playing so well and performing so well, particularly in both boxes where we've we've highlighted many times that they've they've barely conceded goals, particularly away from home. But for whatever reason, they are just experienced this stutter. And I said a few weeks ago that there would be a period where Bournemouth would experience a tricky spell. Every team in this league has one at some point in the season, and it seems like Bournemouth are going to have it now. And it's it's a case of how quickly can they get out of it because obviously they've set such a high standard with the, the football that they've been playing, that the expectation is there that they can get out of this and, and kick on. But if they do do that, I'm sure Scott Parker would rather have this bit of an iffy spell now rather than later down the line towards the business end of the season. So it's it's important that they get back on track quickly and essentially get the goals flowing again because that's been a bit of an issue in recent weeks. But at the same time, this time last week, we were sat here saying what a brilliant result it was getting a point away at Fulham. So You've got to balance it out, but when you've been up there since literally day one and, and pressing all the way, you've got to get wins on the board. And at the minute, Bournemouth aren't doing that, but I don't think there's a, a real cause for concern. But they're going, to be, they're going to be looking over their shoulder a little bit now. They've been reeled in. It was only a few weeks ago, both of us were saying that we felt the top two was as good as done. And all of a sudden now, it looks at quite a wide open race with both them and Fulham struggling a little bit at the minute. But there's a lot of football to be played. Things can change very, very quickly. And I think with time, I think Bournemouth will get back on track, but for them, it's got to be sooner rather than later. Yeah. Also, I would, I would note the the extended absence of Jordan Zamora. They've really struggled to sort of find a, a fill yeah. at that left back role. Robbie Brady started at the weekend at left back. Now he's back up to some sort of full fitness, so he's probably the most natural fit they've got there. Adam Smith's played there. Chris Meppham's played there very unsuccessfully. Um, so they've missed that natural. Um, left footer down the left and also that combination play with Jaden Amphi which was such a big part of their early season success. From our point of view it's great to see them getting reeled in a little bit both of the top two because we want a, an exciting race and the team that's putting the most pressure on them now is West Brom and they beat Reading 1-0 at the weekend. Um, a relatively tight scoreline but it really wasn't a tight game in uh, on paper on grass should I say. Um, Bag is far superior an XG of 3.11 um, so they should have, should have scored over three times and, and, and it showed in the highlights. Luke Southwood had to be at his very best. I thought he had a really good game for Reading as he has for most of the season after ousting Raphael. Um, certainly impressive saves to Nicole and Grant and one from Callum Robinson in the second half, which really in particular um, caught my eye. Really impressive performance from him. Also a very incredible header from Andy Carroll off the line, which I can't not know as well, which was very funny. Uh, it just didn't look right. It was weird. He was One minute he was like tangled in the back of the net and the next minute he was chucking his ponytail to head it off the line, which was funny. Big goal for Callum Robinson this one. He, he's um, assisted four of Carl and Grant's goals this season, but not had one in return. So when Grant laid one on a plate for him, I'm sure he was very grateful. 
underrated finish, I have to say, I think, nipping in at the front post to get it in that um, top corner and keep it down, ultimately, and also get in front of the defender and not get it blocked. And things are looking a bit rosy for the Baggies now. Back-to-back wins. Um, also, it's worth noting the injuries they've got going on at the minute. The whole bench was made up of youngsters. The back three was Jake Livermore, central midfielder, Kyle Bartley, centre-back, and Adam Reach, who's predominantly played as a winger, a push wing-back, but certainly not left centre-back in a back three. So they're having to shift people around. Um, Gardner Hickman, again, was really impressive. He was probably the, the man of the match for for West Brom. He played at left wing-back, so he's, he's now played in his last three games or three of his last four games, I lose track. Right wing-back, central midfield, left wing-back. Showing his versatility for such a young player and really clearly earning the trust of Valerie and Ismail to play in a number of different roles. And he's played well in every one of them. Um, and that's the impressive thing. So West Brom certainly looking a lot rosier after two wins and two good wins as well. This should have been by a much bigger scoreline and the win at Coventry last week was deserved as well. So a big week for, or a big couple of weeks for Valerie and Ismail when the pressure was really starting to, to mount a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. And, and with what's happening with Bournemouth at Ful- um, and Fulham at the minute, it couldn't have really come at a better time for them. So they'll be really pleased that they've bounced back in in this way after a bit of a dodgy period because it's kind of weird because we, we looked at West Brom and they were kind of falling away. But when you look at the stats, they've only lost one of their last seven games. That's the thing. They've not really been in particularly bad form. It's just the draws that have held them up a little bit and they've not had that little bit rubber the green. I think the away well, form's I, been a concern as well at times. It has. It, it, they had to wait a long time for that away win at uh, Coventry last week. And they had to go from the 28th of September when they beat Cardiff all the way to the 4th of December. So it's a long wait without an away win when you're pushing for promotion. But like you say, on Saturday against Reading, it was a, it was a dominant display. 1-0 didn't really do it justice to anybody that had literally just looked at the football results on a Saturday evening and thought, oh, that must have been a slender win. It it wasn't. It was a it was a convincing victory that on another day probably would have resulted in three or four goals. Um, so for, for Valerie Nismail, he'll be really pleased now that they've been able to follow up that win at Coventry with another one and another good performance as well. So it's it seems like it is getting back on track a little bit now and they've kept three clean sheets in the last four games. That's got to be another bonus that Ismail takes, especially when he's had to patch the team up so much, certainly at the weekend with, with issues that they've had to face. So it seems like they're turning the screw and heading in the right direction again. And obviously with the top two currently stumbling, that's going to that's gonna excite West Brom a little bit more and probably push the players that little bit harder just to think we've got a chance here to reel them in and get ourselves firmly back in the shake-up. So for, for West Brom and for Ismail, they, they can't really do any more. The last two performances have been good, two positive results. They showed up defensively. It's just one goal conceded in four games. It's it's certainly promising, but I think the only thing now to take them to the next level is they've got to be that little bit more ruthless. And that's the question. The natural number nine is in it that we've debated. Do they need one? But to be fair, Carlin Grant in recent weeks has looked very, very good. He's played really well. Obviously, he's he's interchanged between down the middle and out wide. He was he was down the middle at uh, Coventry last week, more of a wide I'd role down on the, the weekend. I think so, because like we said last week, and obviously West Brom paid big money for him to, to score goals. Um, when I watched middle, him at Huddersfield, and I know I made this point on the yeah, podcast exactly. immediately after, he's too far away from goal. Like You've got I, to get him I in agree. the centre, and that finishing quality was is still there. I mean, it was I agree, as totally. cool as you like against Coventry. He was. It was an excellent finish, calm under pressure. And that's where, for me, he needs to play, because obviously Jordan Hugel has... Being in dribs and drabs in this West Brom side, he, he's not really hit the levels he, he performed at Preston a few years ago. He's not really replicated those since leaving. So, 
for me, I think Carlin Grant should be given the responsibility of being the, the out-and-out number nine. We know he can score goals at this level. We know he's got quality and abundance and he can provide them as well, which is always a good thing to have. But for me, I think he's got to be played down the middle. Him and Callum Robinson clearly have got a very good understanding between each other. It certainly works. And with the pace that they've got, they can cause problems for defenders, as proven in the last couple of games. So I think for West Brom, it's, it's, it's encouraging signs. The only thing I think they've got to improve on is just being that little bit more clinical, showing a little bit more ruthlessness. And I think they, they can claw their way back in at the end of the day. They've got the best home record in the league in terms of not having lost a game at home yet. And they're only three points off the off the top two as we approach the halfway mark of the season. I'm sure any West Brom supporter would have accepted that at the start of the campaign. So they're in a good position. They are showing signs of life again. Just got to be a little bit more ruthless in front of goal. Other than that, things coming on along nicely again. Yep, absolutely. A little bit concerned about Reading now only two points above the drop zone. Don't think the performances are that bad, excluding the weekend because... They were well beaten, but by a team you'd expect to, to beat them well. Exactly. Yeah, I agree but with that. Nonetheless, that points deduction has got them looking over their shoulders. Um, and Velko Paunovic will be hoping that they, they can turn a corner a little bit. Not being Hull last weekend when they probably should have was one that will, will wrangle with them, especially when they had that penalty, of course, that should have been given. Swansea City 1, Nottingham Forest 4. Probably for me, excluding Blackburn, the eye, most eye-catching result of the weekend. Steve Cooper going back to his old stomping ground. Um, interesting to see how both parties view this, like in terms of Cooper and Swansea. A few months down the line, he was obviously asked about it, and I think it just highlighted to me even more that anyone that thinks Steve Cooper's not one of the best managers in the Championship needs to give their head a wobble. I, I was pretty gave a pretty passionate defence of him when there was a few questioning whether he was the right man for Forest. He was a coup for Forest, and he he has shown that this team was. Awful under Chris Ewan. They were bottom of the league, or well, around the bottom of the league, and they were dreadful. They couldn't buy a goal. And in the 14 games he's been in charge, they've lost once. One, six, drawn five. That's 27 points from 14 games, just short of two points per game, which is automatic promotion for, or just shy of. So to take the team that, albeit an underperforming set of individuals that were playing like a bottom three side, to get them playing to a top two side in the matter of 14 games, two months, three months, is nothing short of remarkable. And I'm not sure there's many other managers in the Championship that could have come in had that level of an impact that soon. The goals at the weekend were really good. And they were Forrest weren't good first half, it's worth saying as well. They had one shot on target, I think it was. But second half, they came to life. I don't know if what Cooper said at half-time might have put a rocket up them. They might have just grown in confidence. But some lovely football, stunning goal from Zinconago for the first. Brilliant pass from Jed Spence um, to Brennan Johnson for the second, who then put it on a plate for Lewis Graben. And I just think anyone that was doubting Steve Cooper and his appointment at Nottingham Forest, I think you only need to see the difference between the, the standard of this team now and the standard of the team before and the, the, the small time frame in which he's turned everything around. I mean, they couldn't they couldn't keep a clean sheet. They're now rock solid, one, one defeat in 14. They're scoring goals for fun. And I would not have a bet with anyone that Forrest won't finish in the top six this season because I've, I, I noticed there's a little bit of tongue-in-cheek with Steve Cooper talking. And I think I think he probably feels the job he did at Swansea was underrated because he sort of played it down and said it very... It was almost a bit sarcastic in the way he said it. Where it was like, oh yeah, we, we did all right. We got to fourth. Like he raised them to a playoff team and they sold £50 million worth of talent. I don't know how with that record and back-to-back finishes getting to a playoff final, you can't respect Steve Cooper and the job he's done. 
So for me, really impressed with Forest. I think they'll finish in the playoffs. And long may it continue because I really like Steve Cooper and what he tries to do. Yeah, I can't disagree with any of it. I mean, we said at the time, didn't we, when he when he got that job, that we thought it was going to be a really, really good shrewd appointment for Nottingham Forest. And so far, it's proven to be exactly that. I expected him to make an impact, but not to this level of degree. He's been outstanding, to be quite honest. I mean, you watch Forest now and you get the you get the vibe that the players are really enjoying what they're doing. They're playing with smiles on their face. And like you say, the first half at Swansea at the weekend wasn't particularly great. But overall, Forrest, the bits I've seen, have been entertaining to watch under Steve Cooper so far. And I think that's what you want because when you've obviously been in such a rut at the start of the season, and let's not forget this carried over from the back end of last season. Forrest were far from convincing in the second half of last last uh, last season. So I think the way that he's come in and just... And let's remember as well, he's not brought any players in. This is the exact same squad. He came in after the transfer window had been, had been shut for two or three weeks. I think it's quite remarkable what he's achieved, to be honest. And I think when you look at the players that he's got, it's very exciting what he's got to work with. I think Brennan Johnson, for me, is one of the most promising young players in this league. I think he's got massive potential about himself. He's just is adapted there a to life in the Championship more with ease. Premier League bound, do you think, than him right now in the Championship? Because for Ooh. me, it's just a matter of time. So- it's a very difficult question. He's certainly up there. I think you as well. You've got to consider Tyrese Dolan as one that's certainly got potential to play I in think, the Premier I League. Think but I, th- I think Brennan Johnson is probably ahead of him at the minute. Yeah. But I think T- Tyrese Dolan's certainly got to be considered up there and, and pushing for that. But I think the thing for Nottingham Forest is the fact that proven by the, the victory at, um, at Swansea at the weekend and against Peterborough last week is that they've got such an array of goal scorers. They don't rely solely on one man. It's not Lewis Graben getting all the goals, say, for their opponent at Swansea, where the vast majority of their goals have come either by Jamie Patterson or Joel Perrault. For Nottingham Forest, they're coming from all different directions. You take the last two games, James Garner, uh, Yates, Zinkenagel, Graben, Cafu, they're coming from all varieties of areas on the pitch. And for Steve Cooper, that's got to be a really promising trait that his midfielders are chipping in with the goals as well. And it's not solely down to the likes of Graben and Johnson and and Lyle Taylor, I must say, went well, on a terrific run for their fourth goal at the weekend to set up Cafu, even though I've got to question the Swansea defender almost like they gave up for that one, chasing him down. But I think, I think give Lyle Swansea Taylor credit. The entire game needs questioning, which <laughs> it probably does. It probably does. But I mean, you've mentioned there about the amount of points that they've taken out of the total that they could have had since he got the job. It's, it's remarkable, really. It's been a hell of a run. And when you look at it, some of the draws that they've had that they quite easily could have won, but the the bits I've seen seem incredibly promising to me and you would not, like you say, bet against these finishing in the top six this season. For the start that they that they had, if they were to achieve that, it would be a huge achievement. And it just goes to show, like you've said many, many times over the last year and a half, two years, whatever it's been, Steve Cooper is an outstanding manager at this level. He's He's proven it. His track record is there for everyone to see. I think he is a Premier League manager in waiting. Will it be with Nottingham Forest? Who knows? Time will tell. But we we said, didn't we, at the time, it all depends on what he can do in January. Based on what I'm seeing at the minute, Forrest might not need that much in January. Obviously, they, they're going to want to make a few additions here and there. They are going to do what, what club doesn't want to improve. But, I mean, it's been remarkable, the impact he's had. And when you remember, the only defeat he's had was to, was to Fulham. It, it shows just how well he's done. So, hats off to Steve Cooper. They're playing some brilliant stuff. And for me, I think Forrest along with Blackburn at the minute, are probably the team to watch. Yeah, I think the biggest concern for any Forest fans right now is 
keeping Jed Spence and hoping Middlesbrough don't recall him mm. in January. And if I was Middlesbrough, I'd definitely be because he looks tailor-made to play in that right wing-back role, which Chris Wilder wants. Um, but we'll see where, how that develops. From a Swansea point of view, I have to say, I was a bit. I, I, I'm a big fan of an advocate of Russell Martin and playing out from the back. But I looked at the decision to play Flynn Downs at centre back, and I have to say, I, I winced. But that's even before I'd watched the footage. Flynn Downs has been fantastic, but you want him in midfield. Why has he got to play at centre back? And I understand the need or the desire to play a, a true ball playing defender in the heart of that back back three. Obviously, under Steve Cooper, when they played the back three, it was Ryan Bennett. Very different role. Ryan Bennett was there for his experience, a more traditional centre-back. They played Kyle Norton in the middle of that back three because he's very good technically. But Norton was out. But you've got Reese Williams sat on the bench who's a centre-back. And let's be fair, he played for Liverpool. He's hardly going to be a mug, is he? He knows how to play football and he's clearly very good on the ball or he wouldn't have played you know, at least 10 appearances for Liverpool last season during their injury crisis. So for me, I think he overcomplicated and got it wrong in this instance by playing Flynn's down there and they were horrific defensively. So that really didn't work. One win in six for, for Swansea at the moment and they're on a bit of a downward trajectory. They need time to get it right. I like Russell Martin a lot, but I think this was a, an example of where sometimes it can be overcomplicated and it, it does go wrong. And they were punished unduly by Forrest. So a deserved win for uh, Steve Cooper's side. Preston 2, Barnsley 1, a perfect start for Ryan Lowe. Of course, we've not discussed this with the, the sacking of Frankie McAvoy coming, I think it was Tuesday, um, and Ryan Lowe swiftly appointed his first game in charge. First and foremost, I would say I think it's a really, really, really good appointment. Really exciting. I, I was very vocal about my opinion that the, the decision to appoint Frankie McAvoy on a permanent basis was the wrong one. That's proven to be correct by the fact that he, he was never going to last the season. I just couldn't envisage it and he didn't even make it to Christmas. He, was, he wasn't he was doing a horrific job. He was doing an okay job. But that's just, like, if you're going to do an okay job, at least do it excitingly. Like, you could argue Russell Martin at Swansea. Um, he's not letting the, setting the world alight. He's probably where he should be. McAvoy was doing that, but he was doing it in a pretty boring way where the club felt it was on a downward trajectory when actually they were, as of last week, they were actually closer to the playoffs and the relegation zone. It didn't feel like that. They were 18th. There was a real negative vibe around Deepdale. Ryan Lowe comes in and just saying the right things. He's got a bit of an aura about him. Some people think it's a bit of arrogance, um, but maybe that's not a bad thing, you know, to win at the top level. To, to I mean, you only need to look at Mr Mourinho for, um, for, for case and example with that, not that I'm comparing the two, but I'm excited by this appointment. I think it's good for, um, it's good for Preston. I think that, He's got players that will suit him. And I think we saw that with the goals at the weekend where they've got midfielders that can score goals. It was you know, it was pretty remarkable to me to hear that Alan Brown scored his first goal at Deepdale for 18 months. This was a guy that was regularly hitting double figures from midfield. And I think that with the shackles released, which is what Ryan Lowe's known for, attacking free-flowing football, he'll get in the goals. Daniel Johnson scored a lot of goals last year, albeit quite a lot from the penalty spot his first goal for three months. And I think the midfielders are the ones that are going to benefit. Someone like Ben Whiteman will sit in there. He'll be the, the anchor in that midfield in front of the back three. And having someone like Alan Brown, having Daniel Johnson, I think they can score goals and help this team. And a bit of excitement. And I think that's what Preston fans have been looking for. And I think it's early days, but you could see the impact on the training ground already with the winning goal for Daniel Johnson. Lovely set-piece move. And I think this is a really exciting po- appointment for, for Preston. And I think that it's as good as anyone they could have gone and got probably out there at the moment. Yeah, I agree with that. I think it is certainly an appointment to excite. I really do think that. I think Ryan Lowe is, 
he's almost very similar to the essence that when when Huddersfield turned to Danny Cowley and the fact that it's an upcoming manager, it's a little bit exciting. You feel that he's he's got something to prove, and he did a very good job at Bury in the circumstances. He's done a very good job at Plymouth, and now he's got a crack at the Championship for the first time. And I, I think the thing with Ryan Lowe is I think he's a very likable person. I think a lot of people well respected, certainly in the lower reaches of English football, and. He's worked his way up and he deserves this chance. And I think for Preston, it's gone from very much chalk and cheese sort of appointment that was very uninspiring to one that's really exciting. Um, I think Frankie McAvoy, in fairness to him, I think at the time when he got the job, I think he deserved a crack at, at having it on a full-time basis. I thought he'd done reasonably well. Why, why did they, but, they did it but, after six games, didn't they? Why didn't they just but, wait till the end of the season and see how it did? Because the form then fell off a cliff. It did, but that's what I was going to get to. I was going to say that I think even though he probably deserved a crack at it, I don't think it was the right decision. I really don't. I thought it was very uninspiring at the time. I thought the um, the recruitment in the summer, which obviously was not his fault, that's down to the boardroom level and what they're willing to invest. I thought that was very, very uninspiring. But it shows to me that Preston are willing to take a fresh outlook on the way they want to run the club with somebody like Ryan Lowen. It's like what came up at the time, noticed that he's been given the title as manager, not head coach. That's a telling impact that he could really have a big say in the direction of the club, particularly to recruitment. So I think it's an exciting one. I think Preston fans are genuinely excited by it. They seem really pleased. The immediate reaction was one of of great happiness. They were really, really excited by it. And he's made a winning start, albeit against a, a poor Barnsley side who are struggling at the minute. So it's important not to get too carried away. But at the same time, you've got to give him credit. A win's a win. Um, it's a winning start. It's what he wanted. He said to the players that, look, I don't want to overload you with too much, but this is the way we want to try and play. And like you say, he's managed to get a couple of goals from the midfielders that we know are, are fully capable of doing that a lot better than they have been. So, yeah, it's early days, but I think it's a, quite an exciting one and all eyes will be on January and let's see if any Plymouth players follow suit because I'm sure he'll be looking at one or two. I think there's certainly potential for one or two to, to follow him and and make the move that he'll probably want to uh, continue working with. So it'll be interesting to see what they do in January. I think they definitely need reinforcements in several areas. I think they are crying out for somebody to to offer Emil Reese some sort of support. So all the, the pressure isn't on his shoulders at the top end of the pitch. Obviously, they brought Connor Wickham in, but that's not quite worked out, as many predicted with his injury record. But overall, it's a, it's a positive start, but important not to get too carried away. But I think there's certainly a reason to be excited if you're a Preston fan. Yeah, absolutely. Certainly a lot more optimism flying around Preston at the moment and it's good to see. For Barnsley, I do think they've improved under Payo Esbargi, but they need wins. Uh, they're more pragmatic, they seem a little bit harder to beat, but ultimately draws aren't going to be good enough or, and certainly defeats aren't in this case. Eight points are drifted safety already and, and I'm not. they've only won twice all season, so it's hard to really see where another victory is going to come from at the minute. The, the one positive for them, Corley Woodrow getting his first goal in eleven. Small positive for them to take, but they need an improvement and quickly. Peterborough 2, Millwall 1. Didn't really see this result coming, if I'm honest. And a huge comeback for, for Peterborough in what could be a big three points in the, the grand scheme of their season. It all centred around the substitution of Johnson Clark Harris being brought on. Good good run for the first one. Bring uh, Forces the own goal from McNamara, um, which gets them level. And then really good movement anticipation for the second one as well. And Peterborough hung on. They went back to the diamond system, which they've they've flitted and floated around with different systems all all season. Sticking with the diamond at the minute, it was uh, Schmodix and Dembele up front. So Clark Harris coming on with maybe a bit of a point to prove. Hasn't worked out for him 
it, it, it was remarkable how many people had sort of backed him as an outsider for top goal scorer and at the start of the season, given he's never performed at this level ever. I know he got 30 goals last year and had a really good season, but even so, um, that did seem a little bit pie in the sky. But big week for him and a big win for Mil- uh, for Peterborough, sorry, which they absolutely needed given the fact that Hull had been in such good form and they were starting to get cut adrift a little bit. Now they're only two points behind Reading and this this will give them a lot of optimism going into a pretty tough run of fixtures I think they've got over Christmas. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I think the fact that they're only two points now from safety, considering how poor they've been in recent weeks, they can consider themselves very fortunate actually because they'd been on such a dismal run prior to that win of the week. And I think it was something like seven games without a win or seven games without a goal even or something like that. It was quite a lengthy lengthy run. So... It was a win, and again, one when you when you least expected it. So they had to get it, and they did. And like you say, it was good to see Johnson Clark Harris back in the goals. They've they've liked that predatory instinct from him. Um, and you say a lot of people tipped him for the top goal, so I thought he'd do all right in this league, but I never would have put him that high up myself. So he'll be pleased that he's got that goal. And for Darren Ferguson, it's a, it's a huge win for them. It, they they needed it, and we we discussed didn't we last week that why had he been given a a lengthy contract like he had in the in the form that they were in, and particularly when he's not maybe, really maybe done a lot at championship maybe level. He maybe, maybe he did, maybe he did, but I doubt it. Um, but no, I think in all seriousness, it's a game that they had to win. They had to win it because, like you say, when you look at their upcoming fixture schedule that they've got, it does get a little bit tough over Christmas. I must admit, they've got to go to Bournemouth. They've got to face Coventry in early January. They've got to face um, Birmingham away from home, who have not been too bad at home. So it's not the easiest of easiest of games coming up. So for me, they've, they've they had to win that one. It's as simple as that. And for Millwall, they'll be kicking themselves because obviously they took the lead, and there was less than half an hour to go. And they they've been in good form of late Millwall. They've picked up and turned things around a little bit. So. They'll be kicking themselves. They had 15 shots in that game, Millwall, and they lost the game at Peter at the same time, had 21. So it's, uh, it was certainly an attack-minded game and two goals in three minutes has just swayed the game in Peterborough's favour. But they've got to build on it now. That's the key. They can't take one step forward and then take another two or three steps back. It's got to be really, really foot to the floor now. And you look ahead, they've got Blackpool next uh, at the weekend away from home. They're not in the best of form at the minute. Then they've got Reading at home on Boxing Day. So two games of realistically they could win but could go either way in fairness so they need four points from that run I would I would agree I think four points they got a point at Blackpool and then beat Reading or vice versa I think they can be pretty satisfied with that but now that they've got themselves back to within touching distance of getting out of the bottom three they can't lose the standards and they've got to keep them up I feel like Peterborough haven't had a run like Huller on at the minute where they've gone unbeaten in six and won three or four of those games I feel like they win a game three or four games later they get a draw couple of games later they get a win and they need more momentum than that and that's what's going to get them out of the relegation zone um, this was a really Millwall-like result at the minute and I feel very frustrated with Millwall and I don't support Millwall I have no connection with the club in the slightest but I feel very frustrated with them because they probably put in their best performance of the season last week and then they follow it up with a defeat against a team that are in probably the worst form in the division maybe Barnsley they're not going to finish in the top six if they keep doing this. Like They can't perform so well one week. And they didn't play horrific here, but they've got to get results and they've got to win games, certainly against the bottom teams. They lost at Hull earlier in the season. You, they're just not beating the teams that they've got to beat if they're going to finish in the top six. And that's the, the frustration with Millwall. 
as I say, I'm I have no connection with Millwall, and that's that's what frustrates me with them. Yeah, it's like I said last week, isn't it? They are that mid-table side that are but never going to be, be in danger of relegation, but they can't make that next bridge to get to the top six and be genuine contenders. I've been saying they, it they, since They lose a couple, drop down season. to like 13th, we write them off. Then they win two or three, and we're like, ooh, they could exactly. get top six. They get up to eighth, and then we repeat exactly. and, and, it's, and recycle. This is, this is the thing with Millwall. To paint, to paint a picture of where they're currently at in, in retrospect to what they're currently doing, in their last six games, they've only lost two of them, but they've only won one of them. It's the draws as they they're have the for most, years that continue the to kill them. the place team that's ever existed. They are. They are. And the, the annoying thing is, like you say, is when they're on song, they are a good side. They've got players that and can hurt you. is a good finish for Millwall. But we just get frustrated because we think just, there's more. There's they, more there is more. There is definitely more that they can do. So that's the thing. It's kind of, like you say, win one, draw a couple, lose one. Win two, draw one, win another one, lose three. They're just so consistent at being inconsistent. But it's the draws rather than the defeats. It's it's really frustrating because you know that they are close to making that next step. So I think January is key for them. But as I said last week, it all boils down to investment and that's the key. But when you when you look at it, the fact that they won one in six, it is a little bit concerning. But they've only lost two. It's the story of Millwall Football Club. It's as simple as that. They are the most 10th place team that's ever existed existed and every game ends one all. That's that's Millwall. Um Derby County one Blackpool nil. I, I run out of superlatives at times for Derby this season and that's a very weird thing to say for a team that has technically got four points in his bottom of the table. But they just continue to defy the odds. I mean given the injuries they've got at the minute, given the huge bout of COVID that they've got which which you know some players pulled out on the on Saturday morning the day of the game. The last thing they needed, they've lost twenty one points, they're gonna get relegated. But the fighting spirit and Wayne Rooney's doing such a good job. They'd be 19th had it not been for the points deduction. Um, and a great story of Luke Plange getting his first goal for the club and on his first start as well. He was actually going to play, Wayne Rooney said after the game. He made his debut last week at Bristol City and was really impressive. He was going to start no matter what. So that that wasn't because of the COVID injury uh, issues. But really good to see him coming through. And that that academy is, is going gonna, is gonna to be what saves Derby County in terms of rebuilding the club because hopefully it gets bought and it doesn't get liquidised that still doesn't even feel real as an option in my head although I know it very much is and it's that academy that's going to rebuild this football club with hopefully Wayne Rooney at the helm and is what's going to get them back hopefully back into the championship sooner rather than later when they do eventually get relegated Um, bit of background on Luke Plange former Arsenal academy striker joined them in the summer been in really good form for the under 23s this season and as I say, Derby would be 19th without any points deductions. They've got the 12th best home record in the division and only three teams in the championship, which are all the top three, Bournemouth, West Brom and Fulham, have conceded fewer than the 21 goals they've they've conceded. Bearing in mind their centre-back pairing is Phil Jagielka and, and Curtis Davies. Um, that's just remarkable. They've got a combined age of about 90. So for them to, to, to have the third, fourth best defensive record in the division. Those numbers are a minor miracle and, and Derby deserve a lot of credit. It's just a shame it's going to mean absolutely nothing in terms of the table at the end of the season. But hopefully they'll at least when they do get relegated, hopefully get bought, they can carry some of this momentum through because they've not they're not going out with a whimper regardless of what happens in the next six months. And I just feel sorry for Wayne Rooney and I also just want to give him plaudits because I wasn't sold on Wayne Rooney before the start of the season at all. I didn't and think you know, he'd done I an amazing job. Wasn't. He'd not done an amazing job. 
But the, the job he's done this season with the preparations they had, this let's not forget, forget the points deduction, this squad should be rock bottom of the championship with the summer they had. And I think we lose sight of that sometimes. They For them to be 19th, regardless of the off-field issues that have also impacted results too, that is a minor miracle. That is ridiculous. So credit to Derby, credit to Rooney. And great story of Luke Plange getting his first goal for the club. A real striker's goal. Rooney was really impressed with it as someone that was pretty good at finding the net himself. Mm, absolutely. He took it really well. It was a, a really smart finish from the young lad and a, and a moment for him to cherish for the rest of his career, I'm sure. But I think I've got to agree with you one way, Rooney. You you know I wasn't swayed on the decision at all when, it, when he first got appointed as manager. I thought it was absolutely bemusing at the time. Couldn't understand it. And... I've got, to, I've got to eat my own words and say this season that he's impressed me. I think he's done incredibly well in the circumstances. Are and you this, gonna, Are you going to apologise to him like you asked me this, to apologise to Tony Mowbray? This may sound absolutely balmy, but I think considering the circumstances of what he's had to work under and the way overall he's got Dolly playing and galvanised and believing that obviously probably deep down they know they're going to go, but they're still going out there every Saturday afternoon and giving it absolutely everything. Without that points deduction, it makes you wonder what he could actually have achieved. Because I think he's shown managerial qualities that demonstrate he could have a successful career at a club with the right infrastructure and everything in place. So I think it's it's going to, as much as it must be hard for him, I think it's going to be proved to be a very, very valuable experience for him. He's done really, really well. And like we, like we said, in the games that they have lost, they've not been disgraced in them. They've been all minor, narrow defeats. And I mean... They've beaten Bournemouth recently. They got a point at Fulham. So they've proven that they can compete and they are willing to compete. But as for the game itself at the weekend, from the highlights I've seen, albeit about three minutes worth, it looked as though Blackpool by far the better side in this game with all the chances. And that was that was from the footage I've seen on Derby's YouTube channel, I must admit. So it could have been, uh, could have been very biased the other way around, but it was Blackpool chance after chance. So Derby had to ride a few scares and things like that, but they've come through it. They've stood strong and been resilient. And like you say, another clean sheet for the, the two veterans at the back in, in Jagielka and Davis. And they would say, don't they, that money can't buy you experience. And with these two, they've got buckets of it. They've been there, they've done it and got the T-shirt. So it might not look the most glorified names on paper that are going to offer you pace and athleticism and, and youth and things like that. But they're bringing you championship experience. And I suppose when you're in this situation as hard as and unlikely it looks that they're going to get out of it, it's done themselves no harm at all. So credit to them, credit to Wayne Rooney. And, and for me, Derby, you know, if the points deduction hadn't been as, hasn't been as heavy, say 10, 12 points, I think they would have stood a really good chance of getting out of it. So for Wayne Rooney, for me, you've got to give him huge amounts of credit. He's done a terrific job in, in very, very testing circumstances. If you give them the nine points back that they got for breaking FFP and just take the administration off, they'd be level on points with uh, with Barnsley. So, so it they probably it, isn't it? Just how well they've done. Yeah, they've done a good job for for Blackpool. It's obviously seven without a win for them now, um, and they haven't scored in the last four. But equally, they've only lost by a margin of more than one once in that run of games. So, fine margins that that were going their way now not going their way. Need to rediscovering that scoring touch. Shane Levery's been back for a couple of weeks now and not really managed to, to quite get on the score sheet. Um, they are eight clear of safety, so no need to panic, but that is a bit of a worrying run, albeit small margins, and they'll need to get back on the horse 
sooner rather than later. Um, given there's only six games for us to analyse, we are going to dip into some of the draws a little bit this week. We've got five of them, so we are going to go in a little bit more depth in some of them. I know you wanted to speak about Huddersfield 1 at Coventry 1, which is a game that you watched in its entirety. Uh, from what I watched about Lee Nichols, probably man of the match and suit him superb form to keep Coventry at bay until stoppage time where Matty Godden did what Matty Godden does in stoppage time and got a, a, a deserved point for Coventry. I think anything less than that, that would have been you know a real travesty really. And I think a lot of Huddersfield fans would agree with that. Huddersfield keep throwing away points from winning positions, don't they? You wonder where they might be if they didn't have this tendency. Um, and I think it's, you know, the thing for Coventry is, although they're 7th and massively overperforming, they have gone behind in 13 games already this season. So it could be even better, is the point I'm trying to make. But this was a game I know you, you watched in its entirety and wanted to talk about. Yeah, it was a really, really entertaining game, I must say. It was arguably one of the better games I've seen this season, certainly for a draw. It was end-to-end, it was action-packed. And Coventry, for me, in the first half, how how they went into the break 1-0 down, I, I don't know. Second half, they just applied attack after attack after attack. And like you say, Lee Nichols in the Huddersfield goal deserves huge amounts of credit because he just kept pulling off save after save. And you almost just thought, Coventry, they're just, it's just going to be their, not going to be their day and they are not going to get this ball in this net. But beyond the 90th minute, we know what Coventry City do and it happened yet again. Matty Godden rising highest in the box, really good header and Coventry fully deserved it and it it would have been a travesty had they not took anything from that game. But I just wanted to touch on individual performances and I have to say Todd Kane was outstanding on Saturday in the first half. He was absolutely outstanding. He was bombing forward down the right-hand side all the time, supplying cross after cross after cross. I think he'd put in seven crosses by the half-time interval and that was six more than anyone else on the pitch. He was just being picked out time and time again with the crossfield ball Callum O'Hare should have scored from one of his crosses. Good save again by Nichols, albeit it was probably straight at him. But there's certainly, for me, there's signs of life in Coventry that even though they've not been at their fluent best in terms of getting victories on the board in recent weeks, the performances have been there. So I think Coventry, like you say, they're going to be very, very happy where they are at the minute. I mean, any Coventry supporter in the world would have snapped your hand off to be in this position as we approach Christmas. So for them, I think they've still got a chance of getting into this playoff picture. I think the, the, obviously the race is wide open. And um, based on what I saw at the weekend, I thought, yeah, they they are a team that is certainly going to be in this. They've got as much chance as anybody. And it, like you say, it just makes you wonder if they're not making things so hard for themselves and having to come from behind nearly every week where they'd be. But again, you can't you can't fault their attitude and the resilience because their heads never ever drop. No, absolutely not. A couple of two-all draws as well. Hull 2, Bristol City 2. Tigers unbeaten in six now with four wins in that run. Um, but it could have been even better for them had it not been for Matty James' late leveller. Cardiff uh, got a two-all draw at Birmingham, coming from two goals behind. Really good work, really well-worked goals, I thought, for Birmingham, particularly the Troy Dini one, little nutmeg and a good finish. Um, and then Ivan Sunic scoring his first goal in, in about 90 years. As well, uh, I think it was 60, 63 games he'd not scored for. But one winning six for them because they gave away soft goals. Um, two really soft goals, in fact. Particularly the, the, the headed equaliser from Mark McGuinness that made it two apiece. So, frustration for Lee Bowyer. Um, Luton won, Fulham won. Oh, this one. How on earth did Fred Onyedimon not get a penalty for, for the challenge by Joe Bryan at the end? That is a stonewall penalty. And I, I was perplexed how that didn't get given um, after... Adebayo had equalised from Mitrovic's header. Mitrovic finally ending his goal drought of two games. Um, he's, it's been a barren spell for him by his standards. 
So good to see him finally uh, break his duck. But yeah, that that horrific referee. That was a stonewall penalty. I don't know how it could be anything other than that. It's it's just a penalty, and Luton fans have got every right to feel aggrieved. And then the uh, the other draw was um, Stoke nil Middlesbrough nil, which not a lot happened in this one apart from Duncan Walkmore missed an absolute sitter. And I think if you're a Middlesbrough fan, you probably come away with that feeling better than Stoke because I think they were the better side. And Stoke are someone who we certainly regard as someone that's got a really good chance to finish in the top six. So Borough will be encouraged and they continue to go from strength for strength under Chris Wilder. What more should have scored? I say that was an absolute sitter. Only one win in five at home for Stoke now. They need to, to get back. That was something they were so good at and have been un- at under Michael O'Neill. So that's something they will certainly need to look at. And that does round off this week- weekend's action. This is the Championship Chat Podcast. We're going to move on now to our Shocks and Bankers, George, for the upcoming weekend. What have you gone for? Well, I'm going to go for a banker early on and I'm going to go for West Brom to come out on top in the Friday night fixture at uh, at Barnsley. Uh, as we've said earlier on, West Brom starting to go through the gears again and find uh, find renowned form that they've been looking for and I fancy them to get all three points against a Barnsley side that are continuing to struggle. Uh, for a shock this weekend, I'm going to go for a home win and I'm going to go with Middlesbrough to beat Bournemouth. I think this one's got the makings of a of a Chris Wilder classic to get the job done. Bournemouth, as we know, stuttering of late. Middlesbrough improving. Got a good point at Stoke of the weekend just to keep the ball rolling and things like that. So for me, I, th- I think Middlesbrough in front of the Sky cameras. I think they'll uh, cause a bit of an upset here. So the shock this weekend is Middlesbrough to beat Bournemouth and the banker is West Brom to win at Barnsley. That feels like a really Sky game, doesn't it? Middlesbrough v Bournemouth as an early kick. Yeah, it feels I see very what you sky. mean. Half 12 kickoff. <laughs> Um, I've gone for two completely different games to you. So my banker is Blackburn to beat Birmingham at Ewood Park. Just touched on Birmingham's fragility at the moment and Blackburn, the form team in the division and certainly very good at home in particular. So I'm going for them to beat Blues. And then for my shock, I'm going to go for Preston to win at Millwall. Millwall, we we spoke about them in depth and I'm just, I was really impressed with the early signs of, of Preston under Ryan Lowe. So I, I fancy them to go and win at the Den. And that's my uh, my shock and Blackburn to beat Birmingham as my banker. And that does mark the end of this week's episode of the Championship Chat Podcast. If you do enjoy our podcast, please make sure you subscribe in your usual podcast app and make sure you're following us on Twitter and Instagram at ChampChatPod24. Sharing the podcast goes a long way to help us reach new listeners. So if you do enjoy the weekly breakdowns, please do drop us a retweet when the episodes go live. It's much appreciated and helps us reach new audience. And you can support this podcast page with our Ko-Fi page, contributing the cost of a cup of coffee towards our monthly overheads on a one-off basis. The link to donate is in our podcast description if you do feel so inclined. Have a great week and we'll catch you again Monday for another episode of the Championship Chat Podcast. This is the Championship Chat Podcast, your home of news, views and debate from England's second tier.